Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to ToledoCalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Let's jump right into Acts chapter 9 today. We're going to finish up Acts chapter 9. The last we left the book of Acts, we had been focusing on Saul, kind of the, the terrorist who was a persecutor of the church, who eventually would become Saul the apostle. And what, what Luke, the author of Acts, does at this point in the book of Acts is he kind of just suddenly leaves Paul, leaves Saul, and takes us back to the apostle Peter. What he sets up at the end of Acts chapter 9 is he's kind of setting the stage for what we're going to see when we get to Acts chapter 10 next week. And here's, here's what we see. There's, there's a story that is told at the beginning of this passage that we're looking at where um, Peter is in a city called Lydda. There's a healing that happens where a guy who was uh, paralyzed re- regains his mobility again. We're not going to read that part today. And then the next part, the second story that's here is this. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa... Let me tell you about Joppa real quick. How many of you, maybe whether you're familiar with geography or not, how many of you have ever heard of Tel Aviv, Israel? You ever heard of Tel Aviv? That's, that's where we're talking about. Joppa, you'll hear, the, you'll hear the term Jaffa today. That's that area of Tel Aviv. It's right on the coast in Israel. Beautiful place. Just to put it in perspective and maybe make you a little bitter, yesterday in Tel Aviv, it was in the mid-60s. Okay, so that just kind of puts it in perspective for you, doesn't it? If I was Peter, I'd go there too. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room, and all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, and turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and he took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. And this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. This is a, this is a pretty unique story. It's one of the Bible's unique resurrection accounts. And when I looked at this, I, I prayed about it, I thought, what angle do we take to kind of talk about this story? Because there's all kinds of ways that we could look at and unpack this. Like we could take time and talk about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How when something is dead, he can make it live again. Amen? I mean, that, that's who he is. Or we could talk about the fact that God works through his people that he used Peter to be able to bring this healing and work this this miraculous exchange. Or we could talk about the way that when we have a group of people around us, people who will fight for us, stand with us, pray for us, they can literally help what is dead in our lives to become become back to life again. All these things are in this story, right? And yet today, I I really feel like God wants us to, to take a look at this from a whole different angle. I think he wants us to look at it, and maybe we're gonna go down a road a little less traveled, something that we... We might not have expected. Twice this week, I, I, I stood kind of as a part of the privilege that I have as a pastor. Twice this week, I stood at the bedside of someone who has heard this past week, the doctors say, there's nothing more that we can do. Your condition is terminal, and unless God intervenes in some kind of miraculous way, your life is coming to an end. 
And I don't know if you've ever been at that place, been at that moment when you stand with a friend or with a family member, with a loved one, and you hear those, those words and you talk about that, that unless there's something dramatic that happens. And let's, let's be honest, this, this story is pretty dramatic, isn't it? Someone who's dead comes back to life again. Does that always happen? No, it doesn't, because the Bible tells us it's appointed unto every one of us once to die. There's a God who does miracles, but the truth is there comes a certain point, even, even in the will of God, where all of us, unless Jesus comes back first, are going to experience death. And so I stood there that, that most likely with, with these individuals, they're, they're probably at that place. When you get to that place, if you've, never been, if you've never been there, you have conversations that maybe you haven't had before. You talk about life, you talk about death, you talk about the past, you talk about the future, you talk about expectations. For both of these individuals, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ and their family knows this and knows that their hope is not in what happens in this shell of a body that we have, but in the hope that we have in heaven, right? And in those moments, whether they're verbal conversations that you have or whether they're just statements that you make, you have these conversations where you begin to talk about a life that's been lived and the difference that's been made. And I was privileged to have conversations with family members as they talk about these individuals, and, and you laugh, and you share, and you cry. And in both of these instances, family members who speak of their loved one with, with genuine admiration about who that person is and how their fingerprints, how their lives have touched them in such powerful ways. Today, what I want to talk to you about is, is what I've seen in this that there, there are times when we need to think about, and you see this in this story in Acts chapter 9, you need to think about a legacy. What, what's your legacy? What is it that your life leaves behind? What's your influence? What is something that people will remember about you? Because you can leave a good legacy, and can you leave a bad one? And the question is, what kind of legacy are you leaving? Today, I want to look at a few things that we see about this individual named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, and I want to talk to you about how to leave a life-giving legacy. And my concern is, and even bringing up that word, that for some of us, we might say, well, in my season of life, especially if you're a high school student, a college student, if, if you're maybe in the, in the young days of, of marriage or parenting or that, you might say, well, I don't have to worry about legacy. I think we make a mistake when we don't think about legacy until we're on our deathbed. There's a whole lot more to think about this. I want to talk to you today about how to leave a life-giving legacy. So grandparents and parents, students, thinking about your jobs and your families and your friends, what kind of legacy are you leaving? Based on what I see about Tabitha here, let me give you three steps to, to leaving a life-giving legacy. Here's step number one. Step number one is this, do good. Step number one, do good. And some of you said, well, that's rocket science, Gilligan, of course right? It seems like the most basic thing that I could have said. If you want to leave a legacy, do good things. But the deal is it goes deeper than this. Those words are very specific and even strategic. If you look at scripture, there's no less than 20 times where those words are paired together in one form or another, where God says to us with emphasis, in our lives, we should do good. Look at what we see about Tabitha. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. 
So, so to make sure we're all on the same page, let's, let's start with this. Because it's important that you know that when we talk about doing good in church, we don't mean it in certain senses. One, one of them is this. We are not saved by doing good things. You know that, right? Like our salvation doesn't come because you do good things. You can't earn it. You won't deserve it. There's no way that you can work your way to experiencing forgiveness from God. So your salvation, this is important, because in a lot of church traditions, or even just in our own heads, we think, if I'm good enough, then I'll receive God's salvation. And it does not work that way. You, you can't earn salvation by doing good things. Here's what Scripture says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace, you didn't earn grace, did you? That you have been saved through faith. Faith isn't your works. It's where you put your hope. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Know this, we're not saved by doing good things. We are saved by grace through faith. That's, that's where our salvation comes from. When we put our confidence and our trust in what Jesus Christ did for us, it's the good that he did when he died on the cross that secured our salvation. So we're not saved by doing good things, but know this, when we are saved, we will do good things. Once Jesus has made a change in your life, then it's going to make a change in your life. You're, you're going to live out that love and that peace and that hope. So once you are saved, then there will be good things that come out of your life. So what do we mean when we say good things? Well, I suppose if you've got to give it a simple definition, it's acting to do the things that God would want you to do. Whether you know it from his word, whether you know it from his spirit at work in your life, whether it's just common sense, there are certain things that if it's in your ability to do, you respond and do those things. It's acting to do the things that God would want you to do. And when we think about doing good, we start to think of different kind of aspects of this. If you're a Boy Scout and you see an old lady, you're going to help the old lady <laughs> cross the street, right? You've heard this before. That, that, that's the thing that comes to our mind when we say, I'm going to do good. It's helping the poor like Tabitha. It's using your resources and talents. It's treating people the right way. It's loving your family. It's, it's getting your work done, not trying to cheat your, your boss or your employer out of time with social media or chatting it up. It's, it's doing your work. It's not cheating on your taxes. It's shoveling your neighbor's drive. It's telling the truth. It's making dinner for a sick friend. It's volunteering at the shelter. It's taking care of the environment. It, different people have different aspects and say, what does it mean for me to do good? And there are all kinds of things that we can talk about. Let, let me boil it down to this, and maybe this will help. Doing good doesn't just happen. Doing good is a deliberate action. At some point, it, it's not just what happens. You, you've got to choose. I'm going to live my life in a way where I'm going to do good. It's, it's a deliberate choice. And, and here's why. I want, you to, I want you to see this. What you do is important. The choices you make, the words you say, the things that you do... What you do, and, and, and remember this, what you do is important. Psalm 37, verse 3 tells this to us. Psalm 37, 3 says, trust in the Lord, and, and help me out with this as we see this. It says, Psalm 37, 3, it says, trust in the Lord, and then he says, do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you see what he did there in that passage? He connects trusting in God, putting our hope and faith in God, with the aspect that we will do good. So God sees that when he's at work inside of us, it's going to come out of us. We trust in the Lord, and we do good. Doing good is important to God. 
It matters to him. This is a part of why we were created. If we trust God, we will do good. But this isn't just about God. And it's not just about the others that you do good to. Watch what happens here. He uses this language. He says that if you trust in the Lord and do good, then dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. If you take delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. The things that you do have ramifications for the way that you live. Doing good today affects your life tomorrow. And this is really strategic and important for us to see. That if you do good today... It affects your life tomorrow, that the things that you do are going to have ramifications in your life. And we're not talking about karma. Karma is not a biblical principle here. The biblical principle is this, that when you love and trust God and then you live out his word, there are blessings and benefits that come in your life. Have you found that to be true? I mean, this is a biblical concept. Here's the way that I would maybe say it. Your actions echo. Your actions echo. You know how, like, you ever seen the cartoon where somebody goes up on the top of the mountain and they shout something out and you hear it echo and then it comes back? You know what I mean? Your actions, the way that you live your life, the things that you say, the things that you do, they don't just happen in a vacuum. Your actions echo. And that scripture says that what you send out has the potential in a spiritual sense to come back to you and determine blessing that happens in your life. Your actions echo. So what you do is important. But don't, this, don't miss this. What you do not do is important. Not only what you do is important, but what you do not do is important. Because I know people who know what they should do, but they kind of talk themselves out of it. Because they'll say things like, well, I just don't really want to do that, or I don't know if I can do that, or it'd be, it'd be easier just to ignore that. Maybe I'll just sweep it under the rug. You ever been there? A lot of times the reason that people don't do things is because they find ways to blame other people. Well, I wouldn't be like this if it wasn't for, or if that hadn't happened to me, then this wouldn't happen to me. And, and you cast that blame on other people. A lot of times people will come up to me, and, and I think they know I like to tell stories sometimes when I'm preaching, and they'll say, hey, have you seen this, or did you hear about that? Last week, someone shared with me the story of a, of a gentleman, fairly local here. He grew up in Mansfield, lived in Huron, Ohio, and he passed away in December, and his obituary was written with, with some great honesty. In it, he talked about his brief illness. Here's an exact quote. It says that he passed away at a hospice facility after a brief, brief illness, quote, exacerbated by the hopeless condition of the Cleveland Browns. Right there in his obituary. He put it right there. This fan just expressing himself. And then at the end of the obituary, as they're wrapping things up, it talks about him passing again. And it says that, uh, this is an exact quote, he passed just before the Browns were prepared to turn the corner. A fan through and through, all the way to the end. It's kind of fun. Except some people actually live their lives that way. And they say, well, it wouldn't be like this except for. And then you make excuses, and you don't do the things that you know that you should do. James chapter four, verse 17 says this, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So if you know what you're supposed to do and, and you don't do it, you, you ignore it or, or you find some way to rationalize it away or you, you blame someone else for the way that you acted, that's, that's sin for you. It's good for us to be reminded that there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. 
right? Have you heard those terms before? A sin of commission is when I commit, when I commit a sin, when I do something. A sin of omission is when I don't do something, when I omit, when I, when I fail to do the thing that I'm supposed to do. And there's two different kinds of sins. Sometimes we think of sin just by what I do. Sometimes, though, when we know what we should do and we don't do it, that's just as much a failure to do what God would have us to do. Here's a, here's a good example. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story. A lot of times we call it the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he talks about those who are in need, those that need clothing or, or fed, those that are sick or those that are in prison. And he says, he says that when you met their needs or when you didn't, it has this, this big effect. Look at what he says, Matthew 25, verse 45. Jesus is speaking to those who ignored helping those who were in need. And he says this, he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Jesus says that if you ignore doing what you need to do, it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect the person that, that you're ignoring maybe or the situation that you're trying to avoid. He says you actually, it goes all the way out to your relationship with Jesus. Like if our actions echo, then your responses ripple. Right? Think of it in this way. You know how like if you're, you're standing and there's water, you drop something in the water, what happens? It doesn't just kind of splash in that one spot. It begins to, help me, it begins to ripple. It kind of flows out from there in bigger and bigger circles. And so when you fail to do something that, that is the good that God would have for you to do, that doesn't just affect you. It affects others and others. And literally that goes all the way out to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your actions echo in what comes back to you and your responses ripple in how they affect things. So it's not just important what you do. It's important what you don't do. A lot of times I interact with people who are wrestling with the past in their lives and how their past dramatically affects them. And a lot of times, it's because of what happened to them. Something somebody did, something somebody said. But I can tell you that almost just as many times, it's because of what did not happen to them. It, it was a, a parent that was absent, or it was a coach that broke a promise, or if it was words that, that they never heard. And there was something in their life that they were longing for, that they were looking for, and because they never received it, because there was good that someone should have done, and then they did not do it, it dramatically impacted and left a void in their life. Does that make sense? Look, it's not just what you do that matters. It's what you do not do that matters. Here's why. Look, parents... Don't ignore things in your family that need to be corrected. Friends, don't ignore relationships that are on the verge of, of being devastated. If there's places and things you need to do, don't leave it undone. Here's why. Because what is left undone will eventually come undone. If you just ignore it, and it's important, and it's something where God wants you to do good, if you don't, that's eventually going to fall apart. Here's why. What they say about Tabitha? said she was always doing good. They knew this about her character. Look, consistency counts. The things that you do, how you live your life, it's important. That, that consistency, it matters. It counts. And as I was thinking about this, and just this morning, I, I, I really sense, and I, I don't know, that this may make sense to some people more than others. It's not just about what you do. It's not just about what you do not do. For some of you, the thought here is about what you're about to do. There's a thought in your mind 
There's an idea that you're scheming or dreaming. There's something that's out there. And you know that it's not the good that God would have for you to do. It actually would affect the consistency of your testimony and the legacy of your family. And know this, your character is determined by your consistency. And there's something that you're about to do. And God would say, whoa, 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 time out. I'd prefer that you do good. Look, in spite of the legacy that you've been given or in spite of the legacy that's been created around you, I'm going to challenge you with consistency to do good. And there are things that are they're going on in, in some of our lives that have become a distraction to us doing the right things or doing the good things. And before that distraction leads to something dangerous, it might be time to deal with it. It's not too late to turn that thing around. Last month, there was a flight, and this is, this is really pretty, uh, pretty close to home. It was flight 1943 from Detroit to Atlanta. Everybody boarded the flight. They got on the plane. They took off, and shortly after takeoff, those in the cockpit realized that there was a small bird that had gotten in the cockpit. So while they were on the ground, people were loading in. Little, you know, little Robin Redbreast or whoever just, just kind of flew right in there, right? And is now flying around the cockpit which is no big deal. I'm okay with a bird flying around the cockpit while I'm at 30,000 feet. Anybody else? Not at all. And here's what the captain said. He chose to turn back that flight and go back to Detroit. And for you animal lovers, they got the bird out. It was safe and set free. Everybody's good, right? But here's the deal. They turned that bird around. And, yeah, you got it. Here's why. The captain said, to avoid a potential distraction during the flight there are times when you got to stop and turn something around and say look my consistency is more important here my character matters more i've got to deal with this because what you're doing will lead to your legacy which which then takes us to the second step first step is this first step is this do good here's the second step number two make a difference number two make a difference. See, it's not just enough to do good things. The good things that you're doing, do they have an impact? Are they influencing others? Are they making a difference in some way? Here's why. I want to show you this from the story of, of Tabitha. Your influence outlasts you. Your influence, how you live, what you do, it is going to outlast you. Go back to the text. Acts chapter 9, verse 38. It says, Lida was near Joppa, and when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. It's interesting, uh, this, this word legacy that we use today. When Tabitha died, she had so impacted them that they went to great lengths. They sent messengers 12 miles away to try to undo what had been done because she had had such an influence on their lives. I was hesitant to use the word legacy today. Because for some of us, as soon as we use the word legacy, we're like, hey, that's not me. I'm not in that place. It's not that time. Look, I don't know how old Tabitha was. I don't know if she was young. I don't know if she was um, trying to be young like me. I don't know if she was old. I don't know like where she was. I just know this. I don't know that she planned to die, that she died. And somewhere in the midst of her life, she had already impacted people. So much so that her influence was outlasting her. And I want you to know that no matter what season of life you're in, you are having an impact in this moment. 
on people's lives. Your legacy is based on what you do today. It's not based on the future. It is not based on the past. Your legacy, the way you're impacting people, is based on what you do today. I found myself this week doing something that was out of my character, was out of my nature. It wasn't something that I necessarily went and planned. It sounds like I'm confessing something, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. There's, this is a scandal. This is a good thing. It was like a, I, had, I had this pastoral response to a situation, to a person, but it wasn't naturally in my character. And when I did it, I said, the reason I did that is because, and I can take you back to the day 20 years ago that I watched a mentor and friend do that same thing. It's not something that I would have naturally done. And I sent him a text. I was like, hey, you probably don't remember, but... In that moment, you responded in this way, and today I found myself responding in that exact same way because I learned and watched that from you. Something he did in a moment that he probably doesn't even recall that influenced me, and 20 years later, not, not because this is his funeral, not because we're, we're reviewing his life, it's just what's happened in how he lived. It influenced me. Look, you are your legacy is based on what you do today, and know this, you are leaving a legacy where you are, like where you are right now. So don't miss this. No matter what season of life you're in, you're leaving a legacy. I know that not everybody that's, that's hearing this message is probably involved in social media in, in some way, but a lot of us are. So you, you might have the same situation that I have. Like when I, when I go to Facebook, I've got like, I don't know how you say this, I've got like layers of friends on Facebook, people that I'm connected to on Facebook, but that may be the only place I'm connected to them anymore. Like if I think back, I've got a lot of friends on Facebook that I went to high school with, but I haven't talked to these people in like 20 years. I'm connected on there, but I see their life. And then I've got friends I went to college with and then people that, that maybe we went to church with in Missouri or Wisconsin when we lived there. And then a lot of people that, that we've been connected to through Calvary and, and some that, that still attend and live here, others maybe that have moved away. You've got like all these different layers of friends. And here's what struck me. My friends from high school, you know the only thing that they know about me? Do you know what my legacy is in their minds? The way I lived my life in high school. Like the truth is, and I didn't realize it when I was 16, 17, 18, in their minds, in their lives, I was creating the legacy of who I was in the way I lived in that moment. See, understand this. You are leaving your legacy right where you are. So if you're in high school or you're in college or if you think, you know, nobody cares, nobody sees, there are people in your life who are being affected right now by the way that you're living today, which causes some of you to go, then it's too late for me. Like, this is cool, but do you know the story that I've written? Do you know the legacy that I've left? It's too late to go back. And I would prove to you scientifically that that's not true. Monday, New Year's Day, 12.05, there was a flight that left Auckland, New Zealand at 12.05 a.m., five minutes into 2018. Do you know when they landed? They landed in Hawaii at 10.15 on December 31st. They went back in time. <laughs> that plane went up, and they said, we'll see you last year, right? That's the way it worked. Michael J. Fox wasn't even there. It was amazing. Those of you that were alive in the 80s know what I'm talking about. Why? Because you got the international time zone. There's 23-hour difference between where they were starting from and where they landed. That's how that all played out in the nine-hour flight and all this. Here's the deal. You can go back in time, <laughs> Now, I can't, I can't allow you to go, I can't allow you, like I have the power. I can't help you, right, to like literally go back in time. But I know this, that it is never too late for you to leave a legacy. 
Even if you think you've messed it up in the past, you can start today by offering forgiveness or asking for forgiveness, repairing a relationship, having a conversation, making something right, finding a way to to recompense what you think has been wrong. You need to know it's never too late to start leaving a legacy. Here's why. Because your influence impacts others. Go back and look at this. Back to the story of Tabitha. Peter, remember they went and got him in, in Lydda, bring him to Joppa, and it says this in verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. And I don't think it was just show and tell, right? I, th- I think Peter walks in the room, and they start saying, this, this is what she did for me. And it wasn't just, hey, look at the craftsmanship. It was, when I was in this point in my life, this is how Tabitha helped me. When this moment happened, when I was desperate, when I was lost, when I needed this, when she came to my aid, this is what she did. These weren't just robes that they got out of some store. They were stories of somebody who had invested in their lives. Look, this is critical for you to know. Your influence impacts other people. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, people that just casually interact with you, something that's going to happen in somebody's life 20 years later and you may never know, your influence impacts other people. Know this, your actions, what you do, your actions create a memory, but your relationships create a legacy. I mean, you can do all kinds of good, but if you don't make a difference in people's lives, then my challenge to you is make a difference in somebody's life. Recognize that influence. Recognize that impact. Your actions, they're going to create memories, but it's your relationships that create a legacy. I've done enough funerals to know this. When you sit with the family and you hear the stories, and sometimes they're just stories of what somebody has done, and other times they're stories of how someone shaped people, the influence, impact. It comes down to that relationship. Here's why. Because who you are will outlive what you do. Your character, your consistency, the way that you live, not just doing good, but making a difference. Who you are will outlive what you do, which leads us to step three. We've kind of stayed step three for last because it's so important. But if you want to do good and you want to make a difference, it actually starts with step three. Number three, have faith. Step three, have faith. Go back to the very first verse we looked at, Acts chapter nine, verse 36. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. This is, uh, this is interesting. Why she got two names here? Well, Tabitha is her name in Aramaic, which would have been kind of their Jewish uh, mother tongue, their, their language they would have used. And then Dorcas was her name in Greek, which was the language of kind of commerce and business and, and government in that day. So she had both names, Tabitha and Dorcas. Both those names, their meaning is gazelle. So if you have a daughter or a granddaughter and you want to name her after a gazelle, then there's your options right there. You got them, right? You got Tabitha and Dorcas. I would advise against Dorcas. I'd probably go with Tabitha just for the record, but that's not the word that's important there. The word that's important is this. In Joppa, there was a disciple. 
That word disciple is really important, and it's, I think it's kind of dramatically important in, in her case. Um, in the Greek language, and we don't really have this same phenomenon in English in the same way, but in the Greek language, words have tenses, and, and sometimes they're, they're masculine, and sometimes they're feminine. And so this word for disciple, there's only one place in the Bible that the feminine tense of this word for disciple is used. It's here. So the only, the only time you'll see this word is here. So Luke's making a point. He's talking about this disciple. He wants you to know something that's important about her. More than that, she did good. More than that, she made a difference in people's lives was who she believed in, was what she based her life on. She was identified by her faith in Jesus Christ. It defined her. What defines you? Is it your job? Is, is it your family? Is it your hobbies? Is it your past? Or is it Jesus? Is, is your faith in Jesus Christ what defines you? Because here's what I want you to know. Your legacy is defined by what matters most to you. The thing that's most important to you, that's, that's what your legacy will ultimately be defined by. That's what's gonna last. At some point, someone is, is gonna have to define your legacy, and my hope is, is that at its core, it's a legacy of faith. Because when you're in a tough time, or when others talk about you, or, or probably for most of us, there's gonna be some point where some friends or family are gonna sit down with the pastor and plan a service for people to remember you. And people are gonna look back at, at what was unique or special about you. And can I tell you this, at some point, the only thing that's gonna matter is if you had a legacy of faith. What's the difference that Jesus made in your life? And that matters for your eternity, but it also matters for other people. And can I tell you this, when you face those tough times, when you're trying to do good, when you wanna shape your legacy, the only place that you're gonna truly learn how to live and how to give life is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He, he's the one who helps us to know how to define and live out our legacy. Let me, let me show you something kind of cool in this passage. Go back to verse 40. I missed this the first couple times I read this story, and then as I dug in, this is, this is really kind of cool. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Watch, watch this. So, so Peter's in this situation, right, where he's, he's, he's being asked to, to do something about Tabitha's death. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. And turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. How did he know what to do? Like, how, how did he know when he walked into this situation? Like, like they, they call him from 12 miles away. He, he goes up there. They're, they're, they're kind of putting this in front of him. How's he know? Look, I went to Bible college. We did not have classes in Resurrection 101. How does he know this? Right, where, where does this come from? There's this passage, Luke chapter, um, excuse me, Luke chapter eight, and watch this. Peter's not making this up. There's this story of when this guy Jairus comes to Jesus, says, Jesus, my daughter's sick, and so they start going to Jairus' house, and along the way, she dies. Before he gets there, she's dead. Watch what happens, verse 51. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him. Doesn't that sound like what Peter did? Peter put everybody out of the room? It says, Jesus didn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James. Why them? He's leaving a legacy. 
And the child's father and mother, meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. I like that. I think I'm going to use that line at home. <laughs> the Chad Gilligan version of that is, quit your crying. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But Jesus took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Did you see what happened here? Is there similarities between what Jesus did and what Peter did? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because Peter learned how to live from following Jesus. And, and the way that you have a life that's worth having a legacy, worth leaving a legacy, it doesn't start when you try to figure it out on your own. You have to go based on what you've learned from Jesus. And watch what happens here. Jesus leaves a legacy where he shows Peter how to live, which then puts Peter in a situation where he lives out that same legacy that actually brings life to others, and it tells us that it impacted the whole community. Did you see how the actions echoed and the responses rippled? Because when you live out the legacy of Jesus, it doesn't just affect your life. Life, it has effects on everybody around you. Look, this matters. And you'll never leave a legacy that matters until you build it on what you learn and who you are based on the person of Jesus Christ. Your greatest legacy will be your faith. And I don't care if that's what people say about you from high school or how your coworkers view you or what your family says in that Last few moments that you're together on earth, your greatest legacy will be your faith. Last month, I, I started doing something that I've kind of, I don't know, just kind of thought about doing for a long time and just kind of finally jumped in. And I, I, I got online and subscribed to one of those services where you're able to trace your family roots. Do you know what I mean? Kind of take a good look at your family tree. And I found out I got a good-looking family tree. You know, this is just kind of, and I thought this would be kind of cool. It's something I could do with my mom and just kind of give us an opportunity to do this together. And so we've kind of started doing it. And it's, it's just kind of this neat kind of a fun thing that, that uh, we've started doing. And I'm cheap, so I, I got on the 14-day free trial first to see if I liked it or not, right? And so I'm checking this thing out. And I don't know if you've ever done anything like this. This is really kind of fascinating. You start looking, and, and they, they give you certain, as you put your information in, they give you certain things, and they're like, hey, click on this and see if this is the person that you think you're related to. So you'll see census records. You know, you're going back to census records from the early 1900s, 1800s, birth records, death uh, certificates, marriage licenses, all this. You see people's signatures. I mean, just to be honest, it's, it's fascinating. And so I'm kind of getting into it, tracing it back, and, and you know, I'm, I'm waiting to find out where my inheritance is, like all this kind of stuff, right? I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. All of a sudden, and you click on these different things, all of a sudden there's this thing that I click on, and I'm, I'm looking at my dad's dad, and I, and I click on this, somebody I do not know, I'm not exactly sure what the connection is, but somehow all of a sudden pops up a picture of my grandfather. It's on the screens. That's Robert Benjamin Gilligan, March of 1957. He'd have been about 55 years old then. I, I knew him well. He, he died when I was six years old, but I have a lot of memories. And this picture came up, and I was just, just kind of overwhelmed when it came up because that's the house that, that my grandparents lived in um, early on. And then my parents built a house right next to them. So he's like standing in my front yard. And he can wear that overcoat, can't he? <laughs> he was a plasterer by trade, a, a master craftsman. Um, 
he was an extraordinary guy, tall, kind of larger than life. He'd, he'd walk in a room and fill it. People loved him. And I, have, I have fun memories of doing stuff with my grandpa and him teasing me and just all kinds of things. And when I, when I saw that picture come up, I was, to be quite honest, just, just overwhelmed by the whole thing. His greatest legacy wasn't any building that he worked on. His greatest legacy wasn't, um, I don't know, anything that you could go back and look at physically. His greatest legacy is that Robert Benjamin Gilligan was a man of faith. And I knew that, and I saw that. He, he served his church faithfully. My grandma used to tell me after his passing about, your grandpa would sit in that chair right there, and he would open up his Bible, and he'd read his Bible every day, and then she'd tell me just how many times he'd read through the Bible in his life. And when I saw that picture, I, in that moment, I, in fact, I felt a little bit funny because I was just so overwhelmed and so thankful for the legacy of my family. Because I know this, that there are blessings in my life today because of the way that R.B. Gilligan lived. I know that there are things that are coming to our family today in 2018 because that guy started praying for me in 1972. I know that the life I'm living today is in part because of the legacy of somebody that you might not know of otherwise from Southington, Ohio, but has had an eternal impact because of the way that he lived his life. He gave to me a life-giving legacy. And when I saw that picture, I was overwhelmed and I said to myself, I want to leave a legacy as well. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, whether you're here in this room or watching on a screen somewhere. And I would just ask you to consider what your legacy is. What, what is it that you're leaving? Not because you're leaving this earth, but because you're leaving a legacy in this moment. Is there good that God would have you to do? that it's time for you to start doing, or maybe for some of you, you need an affirmation today to know that the good that you're doing, even if it seems like it's not making a difference or that nobody notices or that nobody cares, or even if you're facing opposition, the good that you're doing matters. Keep doing it. Maybe for some of you, there's, there's something that you're doing or there's something that you're not doing or there's something you're about to do that God is speaking to you today loud and clear. It's time to do good and it's time to make a difference, to realize that your life has an impact on others and to know that the only legacy that truly is gonna count is you building a legacy of faith. In fact, maybe for some of you, this goes back to what we talked at the beginning. It's, it's time for you to make a decision to build your life on Jesus Christ. That you realize that all the other things that you've tried or all the other, the roads you've gone down have, have left you empty and you realize that what you need to choose today is to have faith to make Jesus your savior. He can be the one to forgive you and your Lord. He can give purpose and meaning to your life. And I'm gonna close this out with a prayer. And it could be that as I pray this prayer in your own heart, you know that this is the time, today's the day, that you need to say, God, I, I surrender my life to you. I want to build my life on a legacy of faith. Then this is the time. This is the moment. 
And so, Father, we come to you. God, we thank you for your word, the way it speaks to us, the, the way you, you shape us through it. Jesus, we thank you for the legacy of faith that you lived out for us. Even going to the cross and dying for our sins, raising to life so that we could know life. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to do good. Lord, if there's places in our lives where we need to realize that the impact of our influence, God, help us to make a difference. And Father, may we build lives that are based on a legacy of faith. Lord, I pray with the one today who says they know today's the day where they need to begin or begin again a relationship with you, God, through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we choose to make Jesus on a daily basis our Savior and our Lord, that we would know the life that comes only from you and that we would live a legacy that gives life to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you, if you prayed that prayer today to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I ask you, when you leave today, there's cards that look like this. They say, I have decided. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, I'd encourage you to stop by our Connection Center. There's friends who are there who would love to pray with you. They have a Bible they want to give to you and answer any questions you may have. Thank you for being here. Go in his special favor and his wonderful peace. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.